0: the greatest tennis coach in the history of American tennis. Let's make that actually worldwide. Ten number ones, Agassi and Becker and Courier, and Venus and Serena and Celis, Kornikova, all of them in the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Nick Boletari, great to talk to you. It's a it's a really a, an honor, sir. Thank you for taking time.
1: Well, it's an honor for me to be on the program, and I'm hoping that I'm able to bring a little information to the people that will make them all feel a little better. So thank you so much for having me as your guest. So,
0: so that's the, the start of this, Nick, because you know, you're a tennis coach, but you're also an inspirational coach, and I know you love giving back. So what's your message to people right now in this crazy time where they're sitting at home, not getting the workouts that they normally get, and just how, to,
1: how are you handling this? Well, first of all, You can't say, why me? It's me. And what we have to do is to find a way to do it and have no negativism, but understand this is a real test. And champions find a way, whether it's in sports or in life, to come out ahead at the end. But, baby, it ain't going to be easy. And it takes Teamwork, it takes faith, and also some setbacks.
0: What's happening, so right now, for people just to get caught up, you know, you used, of course, to have uh, the Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy, which turned into the IMG Academy down in Bradenton, Florida. Are you guys shut down right now, Nick?
1: The, what the uh, IMG Academy, there were certain students that were left there that could not get back home. So the Academy is servicing, I think there are probably 20 left there that couldn't get home in tennis, and some golfers. So the Academy is still servicing those, those children, sir. Okay, okay. And you're still coaching? Hey, baby, <laughs> I coach in my sleep. But the, one, but the one thing, I want you to know what I feel about coaching. A true coach makes an impact on a person's life that goes on forever. Not winning a grand slam that goes on forever and ever. And that's what Nick Bollettieri wants to be remembered for. It's making an impact on people's lives, including the Ash Bollettieri program, now the Bolotary Tennis program. That's what's important to me, sir.
0: And I love it, Nick. One of you, you know, and I've watched a, uh a million documentaries on you and uh the Showtime piece love means zero is, was fantastic and they you know they tried to yes, sh- they tried to show all sides of you which I thought was great and a bunch of stuff stood out my stood out from that documentary one of them was hey i don't want you to go out there and try as hard as you can i want winners And, you know, there's a lot of that conversation right now about participation trophies and kids being active, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's the desire, if you really want to be a champion, that's a whole other thing, right?
1: Well, I don't think we should use the word champion. I think that we should use the word taking a person to their ability level. And if you take a person to their ability level, whether in sports or in life or in business, you're a champion. I do not like to use the word champion. I think that right now, it should be doing what has to be done and staying alive. That's, that's the way I feel right now. And I also think that right now it's a very important time for people to realize what can happen to them. And you have to be prepared that Every day is not going to be an up day. And this is probably the biggest test that we have faced, certainly in my lifetime and I'm sure your lifetime. And that's, that's what it's about is being able to find a way. And to me, remember something. When the person says, Nick, I have the next champion, count me out. What I want people to say is, Nick, I think my son or daughter or my student has ability. Would you help them develop to their maximum ability? That's the way a coach should be. But when people come up and say, I have the next champion, the chances are, and everyone listening to here today, of the 3,000 men and ladies playing the tour today, 1% make a living. And another thing, back in the 80s and 90s, I turned my students professional when they were still in diapers. You know what? I want the majority of them now to go to college, unless you're offered a multi-million dollar contract that you can go to college if you don't make it. That's my feeling right now, sir.
0: So that's interesting, Nick. It's a big shift right there, wouldn't you say? Sure is. Yeah. What What do you think brought that on?
1: Reality, baby, reality. Yeah, that's what brought it on. It's the the, the, the facts speak loud and clear. I mean, a, a youngster, say fifteen or sixteen, unless they're unbelievable. A youngster, five foot nine, playing against Sean Isner, six foot ten. You got to be very careful. And also, everybody listening to this today, you cannot. Have a weakness in your game today. You must be able to play from every inch of the court and also have some weapons, sir.
0: They keep raising the bar, don't they, Nick?
1: That's exactly right. And I'm telling you right now, I just believe that we should all be moving forward to keep college tennis going, the intercity programs going high schools going adults playing and getting also money to provide for inner city children. And that's what I'm now doing. I brought back the air Voluntary program with Bob Davis and we're giving opportunities to children. And I have now two colleges that said, if our kids graduate with good grades, good physical shape, forget the results in tennis they will make the difference to go to college on a scholarship, sir. That's what Nick is doing today.
0: That's so awesome. And that part is actually not super new, right? You, you and Arthur Ashe well, way back in the day teamed up, didn't you? But
1: we were sitting at a bench at the French Open, and Arthur said to me, Nick, what are we going to do about all these boys and girls? Never get a chance to play. I said, Arthur, don't you worry about it, baby. (laughs) I started the Airs Voluntary Program in Newark, New Jersey, where Mayor Sharp James, Bob Davis was the director. We ran that program for 13 years, and it also expanded. I've now brought back Bob Davis again, and we're doing it. We started here in Sarasota, and we hope to expand by getting a grant from the state of Florida. So we got our fingers crossed there.
0: How old were Venus and Serena? Maybe you don't remember their exact ages, but maybe you do. What, what About what time frame did you get them, Nick?
1: Well, I remember the brilliant Richard Williams coming to my house along low-key when the kids were only about, I guess, about 9 or 10. Nick, I got me the next champion, baby, going to be bigger than Michael Jordan. <laughs> and that's when I got to first meet him. And then later on when we were 13 or 14, Richard, let me have the honor of working with the Williams sisters, sir.
0: What do you remember about that, Nick?
1: What do I remember about it? Yeah,
0: what's what stood I out remember. from him? Did you know like these did you know at the time that Serena was gonna pass Venus? Did you did you think that, whoa, I, I've got you know I've got history standing right in front of me. It's hard to know that, right? You see so much talent all the time. You never know how it's all gonna
1: pan out. But sometimes maybe you do know. Well well, I don't say I know everything, but when Richard trained his daughters before they played any tournaments, he told them to hit the crap out of the ball. Don't worry where it goes. Be aggressive and go for it. And everybody said, oh, this man don't know nothing. Why don't they come out and play? They need a coach. Well, when they came out of 13 to 14, baby, the results spoke loud and clear. So I don't like comparing one sister to another sister because both were damn good, but they were very opposite in in their mannerism and how they played the game, sir.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Carman here with with Nick Boletari. I'm getting a little uncomfortable with the sir. I feel like I should be calling you sir, Nick. Uh, No,
1: that's from my military. I was three years in the paratroopers, baby. Yeah, Go ahead.
0: I know, so... How old were you, Nick, when you started your academy? Weren't you in your—I'm a little confused by this, but were you in your mid-40s, and then you started taking up tennis? Is that
1: right? I didn't play tennis until my junior year in high school. Fumbled around with my uncle, made the tennis team at Spring Hill, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, and when I got out of the service— My father said, Nick, I think you could become a famous lawyer. And I like surfing. So I said, can I go to University of Miami? And my grades were only so-and-so. But my uncle, Tony DiFlippo and the commissioner, Frank Cipiti, called president of the University of Miami. And by God, I got in. And you know how long I lasted in law school? Three months. (laughs) And then I had to make a living. I didn't know my fanny from my elbow, but my uncle and the commissioner had two tennis courts at Victory Park in North Miami Beach, Florida. I went down the street and watched one of the coaches. You hold the racket this way. You take the racket back that way. I said, shit, I could do that. And I began teaching $3 an hour. And one of my first students, God bless him, Brian Gottfried. And that's how we started and that's how I started my career, sir.
0: Wow. Wow. I love it. Three dollars an hour.
1: That's, that's it. Hey. And I, and then tell you what, if you didn't have the three dollars, baby, that's okay with me. <laughs>
0: yeah. I well you you had a ton of kids coming through, they were all on scholarship. You weren't worried about it at the academy. That's
1: that's exactly right because in nineteen eighty seven my accountant called me. And he said, Nick, I have news for you. I said, what's wrong? He said, Nick, you're going bankrupt. I said, how can we bankrupt? Everybody, we're crowded. You gave everybody a scholarship, Nick. (laughs) And you know what? I do the same thing again. The couriers, the Tommy Hosses, the Kornikovas, Venus, Serena, Sharapova. I tell you what, Paul Anna, I do the same thing again because you know what? That's what made me who I am. Has given opportunities to people. And that's my belief in life. And I'm very honored to say that the Tennis Channel with my brilliant friend, Ken Solomon, they will be doing my new book called A Coach's Journey. And it's giving you everything I know from the time I started tennis. And it's called A Coach's Journey. The first part of the book, what I learned from my 35 top players. So let me tell you one. There were 52 cards in the deck of cards, but Andre Agassi was the joker. (laughs) And I plead guilty. He bent all the rules. Maybe I should have thrown him out. What did I learn from Andre Agassi? Nick looked deep into a person's soul. And God said to me, keep this boy And look where Andre is today. So I did 35 of my best players. And there's no coach. I'm not saying the best coach, but there's no other coach in the history of the game that had 35 best players, sir.
0: Yeah, Nick, I'm not trying to take anything away from you today. I'm trying to underline it. But since you brought up Agassi, I I have a couple questions there. Uh, Number one, do you, if you could do it again or if it was Nick now, if you go back to the French Open and you're with Andre and he's playing Jim, do you sit in a neutral seat if it's Nick Boletari today or do you still sit in Agassi's box?
1: I'd sit in a neutral seat. That was one of the biggest mistakes. And God bless Jim. He forgave me for that. He did, he right? Forgave me. Well, forgave He I- sure did.
0: But you were you were trying to sit with who you thought was gonna be the best and Jim I think one of the reasons, at least not the way I understand it, Nick, is that he understood that hey, you were making a decision that was that was best for you at the time and and you and that's why you picked a side, but uh and and it motivated Jim. So it ended up elevating him at the was. same time but that, that obviously that wasn't Absolutely. your intention but that's
1: what happened no it sure was that's exactly what happened and you know in life sometimes you do things that are questionable but in the long run god made this all come out and jim curry is one of the biggest supporters and i remember his mother writing me a letter when jim was 14 and she said, Nick, I want to thank you for giving my son a scholarship, but will you change his baseball grip on the backhand? You know what I did? The hell with the backhand, Jim. Just hit everything on your forehand, And look what Jim did. So I kept that grip and worked within that grip, and everything turned out as a plus, sir.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So are you
0: hoping that you'll hear from Andre at some point here?
1: Oh, I, I, I have heard from him. You and, have? Um, yes, and i rather not go into it, but it's very positive, sir. Well, that's
0: beautiful to hear.
1: Yes, and remember something. At the Hall of Fame, when Andre spoke, he said, I owe everything in my life to Nick. I would not be here if it wasn't for Nick. and. I'm going to tell you something. Whether the audience believes me, I never read one word of Andre's book, and you know why? I know what we had, baby, and that's all I care about.
0: I think you should read it, Nick. It's it's not maybe nope 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 nope. Okay, no, no way. Okay, I don't no think way. I don't think it paints you in a bad light at all. Just so you know, I nope. I, I love the book, nope. and and relationships are complicated. So I don't think it takes anything away from what you two had. He was very—he's had an unbelievable journey, right?
1: From- There's no no question about it, and uh, that's it. So come on, let's ask me a couple of questions.
0: Okay, let me give you a couple more. I'll, let, let's go modern go modern day right now. Fed, Joker, Rafa. You could coach one of them, yes. but only one. Who are you taking? Let you get them for their entire career, Nick.
1: I take the Fifth Amendment.
0: <laughs> That's not fun. And I tell you. Go ahead. Oh, no.
1: I tell you why. It would be an honor beyond description to work with any of those three. It would be an honor. And let me say something to you. I did not know it, but Paul Anacone, who coached both Sampras and Federer, when I got into the Hall of Fame after after being turned down twice, I got two framed pictures saying this man belongs in the Hall of Fame, Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, sir. That to me is priceless. And I'm a great friend of Djokovic, a great friend, and I respect Nadell. So those three people, I-, I couldn't say who I would want because. It would be an honor for me to work with any of those three, sir.
0: I get it. I get it. Fair enough. They're all champions. They're all tremendous people, and they're all incredible competitors. Fed's got twenty right now. Nick Rafa's got nineteen, and Joker has seventeen. We're talking about Grand Slam titles here. Who do you think ends up with the most?
1: Well, it depends how long uh, uh, Roger plays and if his health stays. You know, his movement and his hip. And Rafael Nadal, it's hard to count him out because he's a fighter on everything, but you've got to watch his movement and his body being a little bit under the weather. Djokovic, and I will go on record, I'm not saying he's the best player ever in the world, but he's the most complete player that's ever played the game in reference to techniques, movement, recovery. He's the most complete player, in my estimation, that's ever played the game, sir.
0: He doesn't have a weakness. Not that he the others do, but, but he's like a machine out there. It's it's incredible his
1: yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, I like to say this to everybody listening. First of all, as I said to you, it's an honor to be with you. And what you should do next time is get about a dozen questions from the people on all levels. And I'll be more than happy to do this again, because if I can help some of your listeners, baby, you count me in and remember something. There is only one Nick voluntary. And I'm telling you, whatever I have in both my weakness and strengths, I'm open to sharing them with you, sir.
0: Let's do it again, Nick. I look forward to it. I'll give you. I'll give you one question for the recreational player on our way out here. If you have time, sure. okay? Sure. All right. Let's take you got a you got a recreational player who's sitting there and he's a four zero player. He he keeps the ball in or she keeps the ball in. He is competitive or she is competitive, but can't quite get to that next level. What is your? And there's a reason why.
1: Okay. There's a reason why. He's hoping for the opponent to miss the ball rather than taking advantage and not praying that they miss it, but going for it. And that's the tip I give. You can't pray for them to miss it. But when you have an opportunity in life and anything that you do, you do it right then and there. And if you do it enough, you'd be surprised at the success that you'll have. All right. And remember, last word. Yeah. Do not be ashamed of failure, because failure is part of life. And the more you fail, if you learn by it, you can go up another level in whatever you do. And last, everybody, never be ashamed to say you're nervous. I was a master paratrooper, and when the young buck private looked at me on our first jump, he said, Mr. Lieutenant, you nervous, baby? I said, son, I got me a diaper on. So never be ashamed to say, and baby, after 80 jumps, I had a diaper every damn time I jumped, okay? So never be ashamed you're nervous, but find a way to get through it. Yeah. So everybody, God bless you, and I'm, I'm hoping that you enjoy the, uh, the radio program, and uh, come in with some questions, and next time I'll do it, and no charge. I uh, love to everybody.
0: Nick, we love you back. Thanks so much.
1: Okay, boy. Bye-bye. Bye now.